and welcome to this episode of the Art and Design of Sci-Fi and Fantasy, Mystery, and Horror. Today I speak with Dr. Sammy Schalk, who's written a book on uh, speculative fiction and how it approaches gender, sexuality, and disability norms. Um, a lot of our discussion revolves around Octavia Butler's works, um, but we definitely touch on other modern uh, works of speculative fiction, uh, science fiction, that sort of thing. So thank you and enjoy. I'm speaking with Dr. Sammy Schalk, author of Body Minds Reimagined, Disability, Race, and Gender in Black Women's Speculative Fiction. Thank you for speaking with me. Thank you for having me. So first, um, how did you get into studying and writing on this subject? I started studying and reading speculative fiction first through reading Octavia Butler. A mentor of mine introduced me to Butler's work and I was just completely amazed and in love with everything she did. I read everything that she's ever written as quickly as I could. Um, and that really started me thinking more about what speculative fiction, science fiction as a genre can do. I was already invested in researching black women's writing, but I had not spent as much time with this genre. Mm -hmm. So um, when I read Butler's work, I just realized that there was so much political potential and creative political potential in the way that non-realist fiction can represent um, issues of race and gender and disability, um, as well as sexuality and class and everything else. Um, and so I, I realized that there was a lot of political potential in the genre that I think I had kind of really dismissed earlier in my educational career, uh, mostly because I had been exposed to science fiction that didn't represent people like me um, in any way. And so I just assumed that that was kind of what the genre as a whole was. Um, so I started with the encouragement of a mentor looking more into black speculative fiction and black women's speculative fiction in particular, and quickly found that there was so much diversity to the genre um, and so much potential, so much great new work coming out all the time um, that I knew that it could be an entire book project. So before Butler, was your exposure limited basically to film and t science fiction, film and TV? Pretty much. And then kind of the standard things you would read in high school, right? So 1984, um, that sort of thing. So really some standard old school things that I was exposed to in high school and then otherwise seeing things in film and television. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I only mentioned that because having interviewed a number of sci-fi authors and others, um, they've mentioned that film and TV is just almost nothing sci-fi film and tv is almost nothing like sci-fi writing and literature um absolutely yeah that's what i learned and i feel like the in terms of the literature it's really pushing the boundaries much more than film and television for sure mm -hmm. so let's talk about this book and uh can you tell me about it, its main themes and that sort of thing yeah, so the book's called Body Minds Reimagined, um, and it really focuses on the way that black women writers use non-realism um, and use speculative fiction. And I talk about both science fiction as well as fantasy and other sorts of magical realist, non-realist texts, um, but how they use the genre um, of speculative fiction to rethink these categories of disability, race, and gender, and 
And by kind of rethinking both the worlds in which our body minds exist, as well as thinking about non-normative or um, non-human body minds, right, things outside of our reality, um, it helps reveal how these categories are both socially constructed and really dependent on context for meaning. Um, so I, I look at the ways that different authors kind of push on these categories. And for me, the thing that's really important about my work is that then I bring it back to the real world. I bring it back to how do these ideas that kind of get worked out in these spaces that seem so far away from our realities actually are directly commenting upon issues that are really important to our current time. So what, uh, apart from Butler, what other um, authors or works um, did you draw upon as a reference? Yeah, so I talk about Phyllis Alicia Perry's um, text Stigmata, and then I look at work by Nalo Hopkinson and Kay Jemison and Chantel Madison as well. Mm -hmm. did, you, did you come across a lot of um, literature that had a, a poor representation of, of what you were studying? Um, and did you reference any of that at all for, for any reason? Um, I don't talk too much about the things that I didn't like. I, I try to focus the book on the text that I really want to lift up um, and celebrate, even if, you know, there's critique in that, but that I generally really appreciate what they're doing and in their representations. But I absolutely came across texts, particularly in terms of representing disability, um, that use really outdated tropes, um, particularly the idea that disabled people all seek a cure, that sometime in the future, we're going to develop technology that cures all disabled people and that will all just be super hyper-able hyper cyborgs. Um, anything that kind of cured or dismissed disability or treated disability as something to be afraid of or sad about, something that's pitiful, I really avoided those because those are tropes and um, trends and representation that folks in disability studies and in the disability rights community have been critiquing for years. And so I didn't feel like I needed to kind of repeat those critiques just in a new genre, but instead really focus on what can speculative fiction do that is unique and special in comparison to more realist literature or things like memoir and creative nonfiction. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me about um, crypt theory? I, I, you know, I was looking through the book and many of the ideas I, I was familiar with, but not crypt theory. Yeah, so crypt theory, um, it comes from just the reclamation of the word crypt within some um, disability rights and disability justice communities. So some folks have reclaimed that word similarly to how um, queer people have reclaimed the word queer. Um, and so it takes a parallel actually to queer theory in that crypt theory explores non-normative body minds and the treatment of non-normative body minds and behaviors um, and does that in a way that isn't limited to identity. So queer theory does this with sexuality that it's not just focused on people who identify as gay or lesbian or bisexual, um, but thinks about sexuality and non-normative sexuality, how sexual norms get developed um, quite broadly. And so crip theory then is really trying to do the same thing, thinking about how do these norms of what our body mind should do or should be or look like or how they should perform, how do these structures and norms get created? How do they impact us? And then how do certain communities push back against them? Um, so crip theory is um, deeply 
really embedded inside of disability studies, but also kind of goes a little bit beyond what the boundaries of disability studies might be. Um, so crip theory could really be used in spaces that aren't necessarily focused on disabled people themselves, um, but more on the creation of norms or on discourses of disability um, that get used. So that's one of my primary theoretical frameworks for the book, um, because you know some of the things that I'm discussing, especially in these speculative fiction texts, right, they aren't recognizable disabilities, um, even though there are characters who are blind or there are characters who are former conjoined twins. Um, but then there are also things like hyper empathy and in Butler's parable series, where she feels the pain and pleasure of people around her. So this isn't a disability in any recognizable way for us, but it is read as a disability in the novel. Um, so I, I use that that framework to help me think about how our concepts of disability and ability constructed, how our body minds treated based on these norms. So looking at the, um, considering the works you, you looked at and maybe others you came across, how often did you see authors consciously exploring new ideas versus simply creating characters or situations that ended up expressing um, some of the stuff you researched? That's a good question. I mean, it's hard to always know intention of the authors, right? Um, whether they're kind of putting disability in there on purpose or consciously. Um, but I can at least speak to um, the work of N.K. Jemison and Nalo Hopkinson and Octavia Butler, simply because I have, you know, access to some of the things that these folks are saying and doing in interviews and writing on blogs about their process. Um, so I know that Nalo Hopkinson identifies as a person with a disability, so I know that this is like a conscious thing that she's putting into her work and thinking about. Um, N.K. Jemison has a really good blog um entry about her representation um, of, of blindness in one of her series and kind of the things that she thinks she could have done better. So again, we kind of see her thinking critically about her own writing process. Um, and then for Butler, um, even though she's passed away, her papers are now available at the Huntington Library, which is in San Marino, California. And so I was really lucky to be able to go spend a month there in her papers looking over drafts and journals and, um, you know, her research files, just everything that she had. She kept so much. She was a huge pack rat. Um, and I got to see how she was researching disability. And in particular for her, she was just keeping up with developments in science. Um, she would be reading newspaper articles and she would go to the public library and check out books and make copies of pages and mark them up. Um, and so I know um, from seeing her, her research that she was researching certain disabilities so that she understood kind of what was going on um, in order to represent characters, but she was also doing research in genetics and other scientific developments that in the future might impact or change the way um, that certain body minds exist or that certain diseases are treated, um, whether they exist or change. Um, so I know that that was something that she was really consciously trying to do. Um, there's an interview where she talks about going to the doctor and that she was complaining about side effects of a medicine. Um, and the doctor tells her, oh, well, I'll give you this other 
another medicine for those side effects. And this medicine doesn't have any side effects. And she says, you know, in the essay, as she's um, reflecting back on this experience, that she said, you know, I don't believe that anything doesn't have side effects. It all has some sort of side effects. We just decide whether the side effects are worth it, right? If it's the side effects are things that we benefit from. Um, so she was really interested in the way that, you know, medicine technology interacted with our bodies. So when did you see, is there a particular time period when you see um, greater exploration of these um, ideas? Um, is there any kind of marker you can look through, uh, look at or notice? Yeah, um, well, I mean, really, we didn't start seeing a large group of um, black authors engaging with science and speculative fiction, although we can find many over time. It was really not until, you know, the late 70s that it was really starting to be, you know, more than just a few people here and there. Um, but I feel like it's been, for most of the work that I focus on, most of it was published since the 90s and really a good deal of it even since 2000. It's really quite new in terms of this critical engagement with disability. Um, Butler is really the exception that goes, her work goes back much further. Um, and part of that, I think, is just the fact that the disability rights movement didn't emerge until the mid to late 70s and the passage of the Americans with Disabilities Act one of the you know the biggest legislation that we have for people with disabilities in this country wasn't passed until 1990 and that for a lot of people that is the period at which then they started to kind of have more awareness about disability and think about disability as a social justice issue and disabled people as a marginalized community um, so I think that that's in part why we don't see these um, themes engaged quite as critically in until um, more recently, and because only now are we starting to see this really strong contingent of writers of color and queer writers um, in the science fiction fantasy community. Um, you know, the fact that N.K. Jemisin has won um, Best Novel in Hugo's three years in a row is just like incredible and her speech that she gave this year um you know where she called it like a rocket shaped finger to all the people who said that she was just winning because um she was a woman of color um it's just so good i'm so happy for her and to see um the way that she's really opening doors and being frank about the existing and continuing racism within both the fan and the artist community and pushing back against that with her just powerful work and all the awards she's getting from it. So this is perhaps a little bit outside of the scope of the book, but just as a fan and such, do you see film and TV following this trend, you know, starting to have more um, product out there that, that addresses some of this? I think that um, film and television is getting better in terms of race and gender. I don't really see that happening yet in terms of disability. Um, in the book, I talk at the beginning about um, The Girl with All the Gifts, which is you know an adaptation of a novel in the first place, so um, a little bit different than all the films that are out there. Um, 
But they, you know, that text and that film does an interesting thing as a way of kind of thinking about disability and disease in non-realist contexts. But there, you know, folks asked me whether I was going to write about film and television um, in the book and make it a little more interdisciplinary, not just a literary text. Um, but honestly, there just wasn't enough out there for me to critically engage with. Most of that would have been me kind of critiquing the absence of disability rather than really engaging with representations themselves because there just aren't a lot out there. Um, I, you know, I have, I'm working on an article that critiques the representation of disability in Avatar and in source code, um, but then those are kind of white texts, right? So if I wanted to really talk about the intersection of race and, and disability, that's really hard to find in literature or in film and television right now, at least. Hmm. Okay. So what are some of the resources used for this? You, Of course, you went to the, the literature and uh, you said you went to Huntington for some of the papers. Can you expand on what you used? Yeah. You know, one of the things that I used was the fans. Like, I used the internet. I got on um, Thanks for the Fiction. Um, I got on the Black Science Fiction Society's website and social media sites. I really was looking at fan blogs and fan sites to see what people were talking about because beyond Butler... And more so um, Nalo Hopkinson, because she's been around for a while and there is more and more academic work on her. Um, there isn't a lot of academic work on black science fiction writers unless they have already become superstars, right? So folks who have come out with one book or who are still new, there's not as much written on them. So several of the books that I write about, there was no academic work. I really had to rely on getting involved and getting connected with fan and artist communities to find out where this work was being done and the authors that I should check out. Um, so I had to just read really widely and do a lot of internet searching to find out like okay who are these people because there are folks who are doing some great work but are you know doing self-publishing they aren't necessarily getting um big publishing contracts but the work is still really interesting so um it took a while but i am just so grateful that there is such a robust and thoughtful fan community out there that's already doing this kind of thinking for themselves that it helped me find more books to include and to read to get a sense of the trends in the field. Mm -hmm. So what part of the research was most enjoyable? I mean, I've just loved reading the books. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's so fun to me. Anytime I get a chance to just sit down and read a stack of novels mm -hmm. for work is incredible to me. It feels like such a gift. Um, it feels like it's not real, like this can't be my job that I'm doing it. Um, so that's been really fun for me to just do that when I was doing the research. But now that the book's out, um, something that's been really, really exciting and enjoyable to me is how much people who aren't academics are picking up and reading this book and getting something out of it. Um, and, you know, I wrote the book as accessibly as possible because I really, 
you know, as I said, I got some of my information and found some of my sources because of fan communities. I wanted to be able to give this book back um, to all the folks who are kind of pushing for change um, within science fiction and fantasy fan and artist communities, um, even as it is an academic book that's commenting on larger fields like FM literature and disability studies. But it comes back to and it's written in a way that I I hope has been useful for people. And from the folks that I've reached out to and the folks who have like tagged me in social media, it seems like that's the case. Um, and that has been thrilling and really fun for me to see the way that it's getting picked up outside of just academic contexts. Mm-hmm. What part, um, or what did you find that was most surprising in your research? Mm, most surprising. I guess one thing that I found surprising was the amount of representations of disability being cured. Um, to me, as someone who's been invested in disability studies and in disability rights for a long time, um, it seemed like an obvious thing to me at this point that, like, of course we don't just represent disabled people as immediately being cured in the future or immediately being cured um, by some like magical thing um, at the end of a book that cure doesn't have to be our happy ending um, but I was surprised how many texts had that how many times you know there is a suggestion of disability but then it's erased because they find out oh they're not disabled they actually have this you know magical gift or power and it's not a disability after all and then it's kind of erased after that um and so I was surprised how often that trope showed up because to me it seemed like something that um had been so roundly critiqued but I realized that um even though I think more folks are using um sensitivity readers or getting, you know, otherwise kind of getting more eyes on their work in terms of race and gender to make sure that they're doing um, representations that aren't replicating um, biases and stereotypes and oppressions. Um, I realized that people weren't necessarily doing that as much around disability. Mm-hmm. What disabilities are, are seem to be most um, represented and, and what perhaps are maybe are I don't want to say ignored, but aren't as discussed as much that maybe you think should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think most commonly what I saw um, were definitely um, either wheelchair users or people with amputations. I think those were the most common things, and I think it tends to be the most common things that people think of, but particularly for science fiction, um, you know, Amputated limbs had this opportunity for having these like really exciting, cool, um, technologically advanced prosthetics. So it's, you know, the cyborgs are a great thing. So they see a lot of that um, going on. Um, and then a lot of this idea of like some sort of mystery virus um, or mystery disease that comes and takes over and changes people in a certain way. Um that are, you know, not necessarily replicate something in reality, but that sort of theme of contagion. Um Things that I did not see represented very often, um, psychiatric disabilities and mental disabilities, um, 
particularly if they weren't kind of then erased as being like, oh, they don't have a psychiatric disability. It turns out they actually have psychic powers that were emerging or something like that. Um, so not a lot of representations that really dealt with that directly. Um, and similarly, representations of neurodiversity. Um, although I recently read um, River Solomon's An Unkindness of Ghost, and the main character there is represented, even though the word is not used, represented in a way that many of us would read as um, a character with autism. And so that was was for me the first that I saw something that clearly represented um, at least in black speculative fiction um, so I think that there is more starting to happen but I would say that yeah the things that deal with more um, neurodiversity and psychiatric or mental disability tends to be represented less often than the physical was there an issue that was particularly difficult to um, research and maybe come to a conclusion on, or you still feel you don't have a, a strong answer for? Hmm. You know, there are some things that I still am trying to figure out in terms of the celebration or the relationship of technology and science fiction. Um, I have a chapter on it and I kind of push on the way that like we should think a little more critically about technology, but I don't necessarily like come to an answer on that. Um, so especially in, you know, very traditional kind of hard sci-fi, um, futuristic kind of texts that really engage with technology, this question of like, how do we, think about and represent disabled people in the future using technology, but not necessarily cured by technology or having their disability erased by technology is a question that I think is open-ended um, and that needs to be engaged with creatively um, because we see that in our real world, the more technology, especially medical technology that we develop, um, actually the more disabled people exist, right? That we can sustain life and provide access to full lives for more people rather than actually curing people, right? Um, so I'm interested in how more people will engage with these questions. How do we use technology and science fiction and represent it without erasing or curing disability? Was there anything you discovered that had a strong emotional impact on you, either negatively or positively? I really, I mean, so for me, um, researching Butler's work is, was emotional, not necessarily reading her texts, although her texts do have this way of presenting power that always kind of makes me uncomfortable because there aren't clear villains and victims. Like you can kind of see both sides, even as we know who we're supposed to side with, everyone kind of messes up and everyone has this complicated backstory. So she really makes power dynamics complicated in a way that sometimes makes me uncomfortable in her work and really pushes me. Um, but in terms of during the research, when I was researching Butler in Butler's papers, I think the most emotional I got was um, one, the first time that I found um, kind of the most used or most cited and quoted um, Earthseed verse in the parable series, um, the goddess change verse, um, it's all that you touch 
you change, all that you change changes you. The only lasting truth is change. God is change. It's um, the, the major verse um, in the earth seed um, verses. And the first time I opened that up and found the journal where she had handwritten it, you know, the first time she wrote it, I like got so <laughs> moved in a way that felt like religious. And I, you know, I'm not a religious person, but it just felt like, this I was like touching the moment where this quote and this idea that she had been kind of working through in drafts finally came through. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a really emotional point. And then when I was reading her journals, I definitely um, had to stop myself because I felt like I was about to start crying and had to like go to the bathroom for a while mm-hmm. um, because Butler had this tendency to make these really long life plans where she would be like, you know, in five years, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to have this much money. And she started making this plan. And I remember reading one where she um, was laying out her plans into her 60s and 70s. And I just had this moment where I was like, oh, you don't make it that far. Like you don't, you don't make it to 60. And it just, it broke my heart because I knew how much more she had to offer us um, and how she was gone just way too soon. Um, And she really, I would have loved for her to be here and to see how much her work has been picked up. She's so much more popular now than she was when she's alive, which is uh, so much what happens with artists. But, um, yeah, that was a moment of feeling really emotional because I, I care about and like her work so much and seeing the way that she had big plans for herself, big, big plans to be this big best-selling writer and to produce, you know, more and more work for us. And then she just, she didn't get to do it. Mm-hmm. Well, I have a cynical theory that uh, writers often do better after they pass because um, publishers don't have to negotiate as hard with the, the states to um to publish and republish that might be true (laughs) so so what do you hope the book will do i i hope a couple things for this book um in terms of my academic colleagues and peers i really hope that this book helps people who study african-american literature and really african-american studies quite broadly um understand how important it is to have a critical disability studies lens um how much disability shows up in so much african-american literature often as a representation of like the effects of racism but um that we need to really be engaging with disability more critically um, as black scholars. Um, And I hope that my disability studies scholars, um, colleagues and friends also see this book as an intervention in the field um, to show the ways that we can do disability studies um, with real attention to race and how that changes some of our approaches in the process. Um, But then, as I was saying, I really hope that this book um, impacts people who are not academics, who are fans of science and speculative fiction, who are writers of science and speculative fiction, who can kind of take the ideas in this work and see the way that I'm critiquing and um, drawing out themes to think about how they, too, can engage differently with disability and race in their work if they're creators or how they can receive that work, be aware of it, have this new lens to read disability. Um, I know that I've heard from 
from several people who are longtime fans of Butler and after reading my work realize how much disability is a major theme that they had not realized in her work before. So I hope that I can, you know, give people a little bit of a different perspective that they take with them when they go and read other books or watch other films and um, television series um, in the genre and, you know, have that critical awareness, have that lens that I've provided and that, you know, there's just a part of them that's like, oh, yeah, that book that I read, that that helps me understand this a little bit better. Hmm. Okay. Can you speak to any difficulties you had in finishing the book or getting it published and how you overcame those? Yeah, so um, I think the biggest thing for me was thinking how to make sure that I translate this to a wider audience. Um, many academic books are not kind of intended for that. Um, so that was a challenge. Um, I didn't face a lot of problems getting it published. Um, Duke University Press, who published it, um, they reached out to me after seeing some of my work at conferences and um, were very eager to publish it. They thought that it was, you know, touching on some areas that had not been engaged with before. So I was really lucky to have a really supportive um, press and a great editor. My editor, Elizabeth Alts, um, picked up the work after the initial person who had... Um, tried to get my book um, left the press. Elizabeth took over um, and she really helped me with kind of polishing things up, making it um, a little more clear and she really helped me particularly with the introduction on, you know, how to draw my readers in and invite them into it and not just kind of start right away with the heavy-handed like academic jargon, but draw people in with narrative, bring out my voice. Um, so I'm really grateful to her as an editor and to my press. Um, they, I think they did a great job um, in bringing it out. In particular, the, the cover of the book is just like amazing, amazing, and Duke found the, um, the artist who made that um, image, so I, I'm just super grateful to them that I didn't have trouble publishing it. It was really just the work that I had to do to get the writing in the place that it needed to be. Hmm. Yeah, actually, I was cons I was going to ask you about the, uh, the cover art. Um, I, I, I didn't, but you brought it up, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's it's really incredible. So the artist is Tahir Carl Carmali, um, and he does mixed media work. Um, and I had told the press that I really wanted, you know, I wanted a black um, artist, but I also wanted some sort of image that drew on the themes of science fiction and futurity and technology, but also had a really, like, human and natural component to it because the book is not just science fiction and technology like I have a whole chapter on fantasy fiction and so I wanted it to have that component and I think that the, the art that they picked was, I mean, they, you know, they consulted with me and asked me if it was okay, but when they brought this to me and I saw it, immediately I knew it's exactly what I needed for the cover. Mm -hmm. So what's your next writing project? Or you must have started, or have you started on something since the, the book's publication? I have, I have. So there's a couple things that I'm working on. So um, like I mentioned, I'm, I'm working on an article um, about technology and science fiction film um, in terms of avatar and source code, thinking about um, disability technology and veteran status in those films. So I'm working on an article for that. Um, but my next book project actually moves away from science fiction. So I'm looking at histories of black activism and the way the disability policy 
politics show up in that work. Um, so the next book won't be science fiction related, um, but I will always be working on articles and working on other projects related to it. Um, I would love to kind of think about helping edit a collection potentially someday um, that does really good work with representing um, both race, gender, and disability um, in science fiction. And I am also working slowly on a project to think about representations of like queer and non-normative sexuality and relationships in Butler's work because there's so so much there um and not a lot of folks have done a lot of kind of queer theory approaches to her work um so those are things that i'm i'm thinking about and working on and i know some other people are working on things that come out of her archive and so i'm staying connected i'm part of the octavia butler legacy network um which is started by Iana jameson and moya bailey um and they do great work to bring together like artists and fans and scholars of Octavia Butler and create community where we kind of work on projects together and build things together that, um, you know, honor her work, but also kind of continue her legacy in the field. Mm-hmm. So where can people find the book and do you have a uh, social media presence or anything where people can keep track of your writings? I sure do. So um, I have a professional Facebook page, which if you just search for um, Dr. Sammy Schalk, and I'm S-A-M-I-S-C-H-A-L-K, um, I'm there. My Twitter account is also at Dr. Sammy Shock, all one thing. Um, so you can find me on social media. I'm always tweeting about all kinds of things, anything from science fiction to disability politics to Beyonce. just depends on the day. Um and the book is everywhere, so it is, you know, on your traditional places like Barnes and Noble and Amazon. You can also buy directly um, from the press. Um, and Duke University Press um, actually has a a discount code. Which let me look up real quick what that is, because that would be very useful. And I'll ask you quickly. So, the, on your Twitter, is it Doctor? Is it spelled out or Dr? It is DR, yeah. Um, and so the the code, if you um, go to Duke University Press's website and you go directly there and you use the code E18 body, B-O-D-Y, and then the letter M, all one thing together. Um, so E18 body M, obviously for body minds. Um, if you use that code, you can get 30% off the book if you order directly from Duke. So I always tell folks that, you know, if you can afford to wait a little bit longer than that two-day Amazon delivery, um, but order direct from the press, you can get it a little bit cheaper there. Okay. Um, that's all the questions I have. Do you have any final thoughts or words? No, I think this was great. Thank you so much for having me. Um, Yeah, I encourage folks to pick up the book and, yeah, tweet at me and let me know what you think. Cool. Well, thank you for speaking with me. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening. One of the best ways in which you can provide feedback for this podcast is to rate me on iTunes. Uh, Please give me a good rating if you like this. Or uh, feel free to give me a bad rating if you didn't, and I'll use that feedback to hopefully make this a better podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram under Chris Alvarez Sci-Fi, on Facebook under Chris Alvarez WLC, on YouTube 
under Chris Alvarez WLC and on Twitter under Chris Alvarez WLC. You can also get more information on my website, chrisalvarez.com. Please remember my name, Chris, does not have an H. So it's C R I S A L V A R E Z. Com. Thanks for listening and keep imagining the future.